Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. The Michael Reed Show Podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie Good morning and welcome to The Michael Reed Show with me, Carl Durbin, sitting in this morning. Coming up between now and 11 o'clock, Councillor Paul Bell will tell us why he believes no name change will occur at Our Lady of Lords Hospital, not for the immediate future anyhow. We'll also be talking to Councillor Sharon Tolan and Councillor Eimear Ferguson about plans for beach management in Meath, including the Dogs on Leeds controversy and their views on that. We'll be talking to Daniel McConnell, political editor with the Irish Examiner, recharges for excessive water use and also Brexit Plan B, which Theresa May hopes to introduce to Parliament in London this afternoon. Where we're going to begin this morning with Deputy Imelda Munster, Sinn Féin TD for Loud and the Party's Transport Spokesperson. Good morning to you, Deputy. Morning, Carl. Deputy, last week we learned from the Motor Insurance Bureau of Ireland that in the event of a no-deal Brexit, which we would have to say now looks more likely than ever, that a green card will be needed by all motorists travelling north or south of the border to cover their insurance. Can you give us a little more detail on that, please? Yes, it transpired when the Motor Insurance Bureau in in Britain and indeed the Motor Insurance Bureau in in Ireland had sought clarification um, in the absence of a deal, um, you know, what was was going to happen. And the EU stated that the green card would be necessary. And the green card, just so everybody is aware, it's an internationally recognised insurance document that provides the proof um, that you have your motor insurance, you know, and uh, the, the motor insurance cover that's required by the country that you visit. Um, and they're actually a guarantee of insurance, you know, and um, at the minute, uh, all cars with a valid um, Irish registration travelling within the EU are covered by the terms of the EU Motor Insurance Directive. But this all... Um, now appears to go down to Swanee um, if there's a hard Brexit. And, um, you know, what the EU stated was the green card would be necessary. So when you look at that, what, what is that saying? It's saying that the EU are seeing the North as a, a third country. And uh, that's what this will mean. It'll mean that we're a third country for, for travel, you know, that we have to have this for insurance, a third country for goods for agriculture, a third country for people, um, whether it's workers, students, for everything. You know, and what's next? Is it cattle crossing the border, cars, workers, families, milk goods, billions of euro of trade north and south, anything? You know, I mean, it shows up to 
that the government have not been preparing for the possibility of a hard border. Just, just, to, hard just, to, bring, just to bring us back to motors for one, one mm-hmm. second, Deputy. So the reality of this is that if, if, if I live in Dundalk and I work in Newry, I now have to have a green card provided by my insurance company that proves if I, if I get stopped in Newry, or God forbid if I have an accident, that I am actually insured outside of the EU. And yeah. vice versa, if I live in Newry and I work, work in Dundalk, I have to have a green card. This is going to, people, I mean, number one, they're going to have to go and chase green cards from their insurance companies. And number two, we, we read in, in the release from the Motor Insurers Bureau that if, for example, I change my car in March, I then have to go and get a new green card because it's one green card per car. It's not, it's not transferable. Well, I haven't heard that, but what I'd heard was that it would cover you for the duration of your insurance. But there'll also be a charge for this, which is more bad news for motorists. And... Um, the admission by the British government that an international driving permit and there'd be a fee for that also would be required if there's no Brexit deal. So it, it, all it shows again is, you know, that the, the, the British government simply, they, you know, they don't care about the realities for people living in border areas or for all those who cross the border on a daily basis to either work or study or socialise, you know. And of course as well, if, if you're transporting goods through the UK, so if you're going from Dublin to Holyhead and then on down to Dover and into France, you're now going to have the green card necessity for that journey from Holyhead down to Dover. For absolutely everything. But I think for the for the for the island of Ireland what it what it um what it is saying is that we're going to have uh people being stopped at the border, whether you're bringing cattle across, whether you're a worker, your family, you know, your insurance Everything, milk, goods, as I said, and anything that remotely resembles a hard border is unacceptable to the people on this island. And anything that leads to any kind of checks at a border is also unacceptable. You know, and the green card is just one example. It's actually not about the insurance. It's about saying that we'll be a third country. And it's not good enough for the Taoiseach or the Tarnished to say that they hope it won't be necessary. They haven't been taking planning and preparation in the event of a no deal seriously. And we need to see legislation for a hard Brexit as soon as possible. And people in the north and border counties and our entire country have every right to be worried. And as you say, this is just one manifestation. Where do you and your party think we are currently with Brexit? Well, I mean, everything's literally up in the air at the minute, given the last... um, the events of the last week, but in relation to, you know, the talk that Theresa May is bringing her Plan B to the House of Commons today, regardless of what Theresa May or the opposition intend to bring to the British House of Commons today, what is absolutely clear is that the guarantee of the backstop cannot be changed. The guarantees contained in the backstop can't be up for renegotiations. The Good Friday Agreement must be protected. There were suggestions in, in the Daily Telegraph this morning that Theresa May may look to, to go back on the Good Friday Agreement and perhaps even try to change it. The Good Friday Agreement is an international binding agreement and it belongs to the people and the Good Friday Agreement must be protected in all its parts as should the all-island economy be protected and the rights of Irish citizens and EU citizens in the North must be protected and there should be absolutely no hardening of a British border in Ireland in any way. But can, so, can the Good, Good Friday Agreement be re-delivered, be renegotiated? Under no circumstances. It's an internationally binding agreement and it belongs to the people and it was hard fought for and hard won 
and there can be no, all of the aspects contained in the legal guarantee, the backstop, cannot be up for renegotiations. We can't take steps backwards. That's, you know, there can be no hardening of a British border in Ireland in any way. And if you listen to, there was talk of, um, I think his name was Liam, Liam Fox, uh, the Trade Secretary in Britain. He was talking about having a bilateral agreement with Ireland and Britain instead of a backstop. And that's, it's simply not possible. It's the EU as a body that negotiates trade deals and borders. And, and the Brits know this. So if, if this is part of their plan today and our Theresa May's plans today, then it shows that they're living in cuckoo land. And it also implies that she's going for a hard Brexit. There is a suggestion in more than one newspaper this morning that that indeed is what that she will propose a bilateral agreement between Ireland and, and the United Kingdom, which will allow for free travel, will allow for a, a trade deal, etc. But the, the Taoiseach and Simon Coveney have both said categorically today that this is not going to happen and, and you would support that. Yes, it can't happen. It can't happen. We have to have the security of the legal backstop, the legal guarantee that is the backstop to protect Ireland and its people. I mean, it's, this is Britain's Brexit, you know, it's, and it just shows the, the utter chaos that they're in at the minute, that they don't know which end of them is up, you know, and particularly if they're talking about bilateral agreements. I mean, that's impossible. It's simply not possible. And you would have to assume that they haven't even started negotiations on a bilateral agreement if the Irish government are completely against it. Well, that's it, yeah. And the only bilateral agreement that is possible is a common travel area. And this comes back to the EU um, as the body that negotiates trade deals and that. But the only bilateral agreement that is possible is the common travel area. But there's no formal agreement. I mean, it's in our laws here and it's in Britain's laws, but there's no bridging agreement, if you like, if that's the right word, between our two countries. It's just an acknowledgement. But the, the backstop provides the legal guarantees and safety for, for, for Ireland, its people, its economy, the Good Friday Agreement, and all of, all of that that we need intact to protect Ireland. And the government need to ensure that there is no watering down of that and there is no negotiation on it whatsoever. Realistically, we're we're ten weeks, give or take, away from March the twenty ninth. Do you think? Do you think will Britain need to apply for an extension? I'd say, given the chaos at the moment, that that's possibly what they're going to end up doing. I mean, who knows? They literally, if you look, it's an absolute circus. What's going on in the British House of Commons? Um, I'd imagine that that's what they'll they'll opt for. You know, after this week you know it it literally appears that they just have no idea what they're doing but it shows also their scant disregard for the irish people and for the good friday agreement that they're actually even contemplating the you know the possibility of thinking that they could uh, renegotiate what is an internationally binding agreement and it shows their their contempt for the not only for the the people of ireland but also you know the our economy and, and everything else and where, Deputy Munster, do you think the DUP stand going into this afternoon's debate in Parliament? Well, the DUP are the DUP, aren't they? they you know, they, they, they um, literally, thus far, they've been backing uh, Theresa May. They've backed her in the, the vote of no confidence. And they want um, to harden, I, I suppose. They don't want to see the Good Friday Agreement. They've fought it in every, every strand of, and every step of the way, you know, they've no interest in protecting what's best for the island of Ireland. Um, so if Theresa May ups 
for that plan or that plan is dis, you know discussed today in relation to bilateral agreement i'm quite sure they'll back that anything to try and smash the good friday agreement you know so that's that's where the government needs to stand strong because um at the end of the day even the practical examples of people um you know travel if you're going from loud to armagh you know that you would need this type of green card and again it, if this is the type of thing that's going to be in effect, you know, the result of a hard Brexit, then it's not just going to be for, for travel, it's going to be for goods, agriculture, people. And do, do, you, do you worry, Deputy, that there may be other examples like that that we don't know about yet? Of course there is. I mean, this, this only came up. We've been calling on the government to bring in legislation for a hard Brexit for months now, you know, to have their preparations and planning in place. But this only came to light when the uh, British Motor Insurance and our Bureau and the same in, here in Ireland saw clarification. That's, that's when this came to light. There's, so there's 101 other things. I mean, if you're going to need a green card to go from Loud to Armagh, then the same could be said of cattle, mm. of cars, of workers, of students, of families, of goods. Of milk, of milk which crosses milk, the border exactly, to be processed and goes back day, across every again. Every day of the week, you know. So anything as I said, that remotely resembles a hard border is totally unacceptable to the people on this island and anything that leads to any kind of checks at a border is totally unacceptable. And, the, you know, the backstop has to be our legal guarantee and there could be no watering down of that whatsoever. And the Irish government have to stand firm and the EU have in to terms, stand firm. In terms of Good Friday, Deputy Munster, are, are you worried about the developments in Derry on Saturday and the emergence of a new IRA continuity group and the, the bomb that was placed outside the courthouse? Yeah, well, of course it's, it's worrying. You know, I mean, they're in a very, very, very minute minority because um, the vast, the overwhelming majority of people in Derry and throughout Ireland support the peace process and they want to see it protected and advanced, you know, and they've nothing really to offer, particularly at a time... Though we're at it with, with uh, well, at any time, but but with Brexit, um, since the peace, you know, since the peace process, um, with Brexit, you know, and Brexit, um, all of the, you know, the fact that Ireland, you know, we have to stand together and make sure that we have the 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 backstop, you know, and also if they're looking, if they're doing it on the basis of, you know, um, United Ireland, well, should the next. If there is a hard Brexit, the next logical step is for the constitutional question, the referendum on Irish unity, to be put before the people. So it's it's um, it doesn't does, make sense that they would. Does a bomb does a bomb in Derry on a Saturday night, and, and mm. it was so lucky that it wasn't tragic. Does that bomb necessitate the need to get Stormont back into work? No, I don't think it's anything to do with with Stormont whatsoever. I mean, we've said repeatedly now you know, that will not stand over or sit in any type of government that denies rights, that doesn't believe in equality, whether it's women's rights, marriage rights, language rights. You know, it wouldn't be tolerated in, in England or in any other European country. And God only knows we have tried and tried and tried, you know, to have things working. But you cannot, there comes a point when you cannot stand over um, sharing power with people who do not believe in equality. And that, that is the bottom line. Well, but we want to get them up and running. But you can't go in if, and share power with people that think that you're not as equal to, you know, as they are. You have to Deputy, treat everybody equal and equal rights. 
Deputy Imelda Munster, Sinn Féin TD for Loud and the party's transport spokesperson. We thank you for your time this morning. We'll be back after this. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. And you're very welcome back to the Michael Reed Show with me, Cahill Dervin. As always, our text number is 086 1800 658. That's 086 1800 658. And Marie will be in with your comments after the news at 10 o'clock. And we do indeed welcome them. A report in the Irish Daily Mirror this morning campaign victory as hospital name is saved. Story by Trevor Quinn. Protesters appear to have won their battle to stop a major hospital being renamed. HSE sources say it is no longer a priority to rebrand Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital in Drogheda County, Louth. A councillor has claimed that councillor is Councillor Paul Bell. Good morning to you, Councillor Bell. Good morning, Cahal. Give us the outline of this story, please, Paul. Well, the outline of the story basically is that uh, the HSE uh, commenced a process within the hospital uh, to have the name of Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital changed. Uh, the population of Drogheda and citizens from all over the area decided that the way that process was being handled was absolutely undemocratic, non-consultative, and it should be challenged. And indeed, it has been by groups and by individuals uh, alone trying to make sure that whatever was going to happen was in the interest uh, of the hospital and in the interest of the community. And there was a pro- there was a protest yeah. march in Drogheda. Yeah, having so having acknowledged the fact that the people of Drogheda and district basically paid for the construction of that facility and that Mother Mary Martin had led a campaign to create a hospital in the area, which is a hugely valuable asset. Uh, the HSE, I think, was somewhat taken aback by the reaction. Uh, I have close contact with the HSE and I was asked to explain well, why was this. And for the very same reasons I put to you, Cahill, uh, I explained the, you know, the, the way people see the hospital in the area, the value that they have, and it's also... Uh, part of the town's heritage. Now, there's obviously been ongoing and chewing and throwing about this issue. Uh, and with all that's going on in the health service, uh, it was quite clearly put out there politically uh, that the HSE should concentrate on a lot of other things that's going on in the health service, including making sure that there's proper health services available for the public, that the budgets are appropriate, that they can fund the actual health service. And obviously there's other issues ongoing with trying to provide the best services possible. So what has been communicated to me over the last number of days is that the HSE do not see this as a priority at this time, uh, which is a welcome fact because before Christmas, it was an immediate priority. Uh, it was something that had to be done for the 4th of January. It was something that was occupying uh, the management's minds, uh, both in the hospital and in the uh, RCSI group of hospitals, which Our Lady of Lords Hospital is part of. But over the last number of days, um, the HSC are considering the response of the people from our town, the campaigns, the various uh, positions being put forward, including, by the way, the adoption of a motion which I placed before the Drogheda Borough Council, where the councillors unanimously uh, called on the Department of Health and the HSC not to change the name. There is, so there I, is, Councillor, I mean, your own Labour Party colleague, Senator Jed Nash, has, t- has told the Mirror that by no means has this issue gone away and he would call on all those who are concerned to remain vigilant. Mm-hmm. Is that at odds with what you're telling us? Actually, uh, well, I don't see it as odds because uh, I would agree with that position uh, because uh, at the end of the day, this is the second time that uh, this issue has been put on the agenda. The second time, uh, uh, citizens may not be aware that about three or four years ago, uh, this notion was circulated around the area. Uh, some public representatives were aware of it. Uh, some uh, other uh, stakeholders were aware of it. And at that time, it was absolutely rejected. 
that this is the second attempt. And, and I do believe that in the foreseeable future, uh, like this matter could be revisited. But right now, the pressure that has been put on the HSE is being considered. And where it was a priority, it is no longer a priority. But there are, there are still no doubt people who would say that the scandals associated with the hospital are part of the reason for a name change. Well, that's not the issue I'm pursuing, Carl. The issue I'm pursuing is to ensure that the name of Our Lady Rose Hospital remains uh, to be active and that the memory of Mother Mary Martin, who is the foundress of the hospital, uh, remains uh, to be in the memory of the people of Drogheda. I understand that, that the point that you're making in relation to the hospital's history. Uh, nevertheless, uh, this isn't strictly about the name of the hospital. There are many other hospitals throughout the state where... Um, uh, religious names or saints' names have remained in place, even though those hospitals are funded by the state. Uh, and I suppose each hospital has a different history. And you're but confident. This, you're confident that for the moment this is now. Oh, I am. confident that this issue is moving the right way. I'm confident that the point has been very well made by the citizens of Drogheda. I'm confident that those who have an interest um, in preserving the name and the memory of Mother Mary Martin have made some degree of progress. And exactly, I would agree with my colleague, uh, Dennis O'Nash. This issue it has to be one that we have to be vigilant of. We're in a much better place than we were leading up to the Christmas break. Councillor Paul Bell, Labour Party councillor on Louth County Council and divisional organiser with SIP2's Health Division. We thank you for your time this morning. Now, in front of me, I have what can only be described as a stunning photograph which was taken this morning by Anthony Murphy, the Drogheda-based author and photographer and the founder of Mythical Ireland. Anthony, first of all, you're very welcome to... Good morning, Good morning, this nice morning. Good morning to you, and thank you for joining us. Tell us what happened this morning and why this is so special. Uh, well, this morning there was a total eclipse of the moon. Now, they actually do happen semi-regularly, you know, every couple of years. Uh, the problem in Ireland is that quite often the weather doesn't play ball. Um, so, uh, you know, every, well, 50% at least of eclipses don't we get don't seen. We don't see them. <laughs> this morning was different, though. Uh, it was. Now, cl- the cloud did roll in just as the moon went into total eclipse at around 4.40am. And I thought that was it. I thought mm. I was going to be going home. Went out where, where, where did you take Douth? Well, I was in Drogheda. Um, took a few shots in and around Drogheda. And then I said I'd head out to Douth. Uh, set up the camera there and it was completely overcast. And I t- said, that's it, I'll be going home. But then the clouds broke again a little bit and the moon came through, uh, as you can see there. So... Um, managed to get a, a nice picture lit up it's the tree stu- as well. It's a stunning photograph isn't it? Ah well sure look. And people people can see this on uh, well on Mythical Ireland on Facebook at the moment I'll mm. put it onto the website too later on. I don't know that we'll, share, we'll share a link as well. This is what's known as a super wolf blood moon isn't it? Yeah now I have to be honest I don't get caught up in the super moon mm. craze I'll tell you why super moon all that means is that the moon is slightly closer to us than normal right? You look up at the moon last night, you can't see that it's any bigger than normal. You really can't, you know. Um, There's a lot of hype around supermoons. When the moon is rising, the full moon is rising, it's very impressive. Usually you have some sort of, you know, it might be rising over a distant church or a tree or a mountain or something. When it's high up in the sky, you just can't notice that it's maybe 2% bigger than normal. You know, there's a lot of hype around that. The wolf moon, I think, comes from, it's one of the... The, the the names given to the monthly moons from you know the winter moon in the when the old tribes and the you know the native the, native the, the, North the Americans mm. uh, the, the 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 wolves would gather around them in the winter and howl because they'd be hungry you know 
Uh, and then, of course, the blood moon, because it turns red when it's in total eclipse. The reason that happens is basically because the sun's light is being refracted through the layers of the Earth's atmosphere in much the same way as the sun appears to kind of go, get quite red when it's setting. You know, it's being lensed. It's, it's, it's quite incredible atmosphere. how these terms have all come into our modern day vocabulary. Yeah, well, I mean, I've been an astronomer since I was in short pants, <laughs> as the man says, um, pro- probably for about 40 years. And a supermoon has only come into uh, terminology in the past two or three years. I mean, I never called... Uh, a, a full moon, a super mm. moon. You it know. was just a full moon. But in in fairness, it it's a great way of getting the public interested in astronomy because we a lot of people live now in cities and and and, and in towns where streetlights kind of block out the view of the sky. So it's nice that people are being educated to what's happening in the sky, and it's nice to get out of the town into the countryside in the middle of the night while everyone else is. Were there any any other uh, astronomers in doubt this morning? Uh, no, but there was another photographer at Newgrange. <laughs> okay. And how did he do? Or she? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> we'll wait and see. Yeah. This won't happen again until 2032, I read this morning. Well, I mean, there will be several eclipses, as I say. They're happening, they actually happen in predictable sequences. And one of the things that I've written about in my books is the fact that I think that the builders of Newgrange and Douth had actually figured all that out. Mm that they happen in sequences. The difficulty with the next couple of eclipses is that they're going to be entering total totality just as the moon is setting. So we're going to miss a great deal of it, you know. Um, so the next time we're going to see uh, a proper full-length eclipse, uh, weather permitting, is a good long, long good, time. Good while from there. Excuse the pun, but what else is on the horizon for astronomers? And Oh, I didn't expect that. <laughs> um, I don't know. Well, the Chinese are growing plants on a on a, uh, a probe on the far side of the moon, which mm. is very exciting. That's kind of captured the imagination lately. And we're waiting for images to come back from uh, an object called Ultima Thule. Uh, there was a flyby there in the past few weeks. But because of the slow data rate between the spacecraft and Earth, uh, we won't expect to see high resolution pictures until I think sometime in February. Uh, that's how long the download's going to take. That's so if you thought your broadband was slow. <laughs> so the download has started and it won't finish until February. Correct, yeah. Even my part of me, it wouldn't take that long, I don't think. Listen, Anthony, thank you so much for that. People can get more information on Mythical Ireland's website, Facebook. Yeah, mythicalireland.com, yeah. And I'm delighted to say your brilliant picture from Doubt this morning for... 427? Uh, yes, for just around half four this morning. Yeah. I was fast asleep, but your brilliant picture is now on our Facebook page as well, so thank brilliant. you so much for that. And thank you for coming in this morning. Thanks, Carl. Anthony, My pleasure. Anthony Murphy, Drogheda based author, a photographer, and the founder of Mythical Ireland, will be back after this. Michael Reed on LMFM. And welcome back to the Michael Reed Show. If you'd like to make a comment, our text line is 086 1800 658. 086-1800-658 which is also our number on WhatsApp and we're also on Twitter at LMFM Radio. So now, in the Irish Examiner this morning, the political editor Daniel McConnell writes that households which excessively use or waste water will be given a year to reduce their consumption before they face being fined under plans to be approved by Cabinet tomorrow. I'm delighted to say Daniel joins us on the phone. Good morning to you, Daniel. Good morning, Carl. Give us an outline, Daniel, of the uh, possible fines facing up to 80,000 customers who are using more than the generous, the government will tell you, allocation of water. 
Yeah, so, I mean, this has been well flagged, but I suppose essentially what's happening now is the last piece of the jigsaw in terms of the future funding model for Irish Water. Uh, Ultimately, any model has to include fines and penalties or sanctions for those who continuously and excessively you know, wastewater or breach um, the threshold set down by the government. Now, as we all remember, you know, the issue of water charges dominated not only the 2014 local and European elections, but the, the subsequent general election in 2016. And the, the shadow of that controversy has basically filtered through and dominated the political scene ever since. And I suppose what is clear from, from what I've been told is, you know, the scars of those battles, you know, you know, are, are, are clearly visible and clearly uh, remembered. So it's a very much a hands-off approach by government, you know. So every person uh, has a very generous uh, daily allowance, which, you know, you would literally need to be running your taps from morning to night uh, to breach it, or, or to be filling a swimming pool out your back garden if you're to breach it. And above that, like, so essentially there's the accepted daily usage, which is about 125 million litres Per, uh, per average uh, household. Per average household. So what they've done is that they've um, they've given you 1.7 times that allowance, which is you know which is 213,000 liters per family per per year. Like as I said, you'd need to be running uh, every tap in the house from morning to night to to, uh, to to breach that. So, but if if and when charges kick in or the, the this regime kicks in in 2020, essentially what will happen if you are seen because we all have meters outside our houses now. If you're seen to be over that limit, you know there's one or two problems. One, there's a there's a leak on your side of the the line, you know, on on your house side of the of the meter, or you're clearly just you know wasting water hand over fist. And what Irish Water and the government are are saying, and what's part of this memo that's going to cabinet tomorrow, is that you will be then contacted by Irish Water by way of a letter saying we'll come out and take a look at your your uh, your lines to make sure that you don't have a leak and if you do you can avail of this first fix program that they are running essentially they'll pay for the for one fix on your on your lines um but if you're still above that threshold one year after you've been notified then then fines will start kicking in so you know it's a very as i said it's a softly softly approach it's probably as soft as the government can go um, given the, the political sensitivities and realities that exist. And the timing of it, I mean, this doesn't come into effect if, if it gets approved by Cabinet. It doesn't come into effect until 2020. You're then given a year. So it's 2021 before they will see any revenue from this. Exactly. And, uh, well, I mean, ultimately, Irish Water has seemed to have billed some money for next year. They, they reckon in around £7 million, So, I mean, it'll have to kick in. They Obviously, you know, they, they forecast that it'll have to kick in at some stage next year. That obviously is a movable feast. And will, will the elections, will the forthcoming European and local elections not have an impact? I think they will, and I mean, obviously, there's the very real threat of a general election within the next 12 months. So I could, you know, that that that's a movable feast without question. Uh, it's a relatively small amount of money, so it's not like Irish Water need the money. Essentially, you know, in terms of you know, they're not relying on the you know uh, the fines to kind of keep them keep the lights on or or people's salaries in place. Um, and ultimately, the, the the message that was being made very clear to me from government sources over the weekend. They see this very much as a conservation measure as opposed to a revenue raiser. Like, so very much the emphasis is on let's fix the leaks, let's address the problems that are seen, let's give people plenty of time. But I suppose the, the upshot of that is it rewards sloppy behaviour and essentially those who want to thumb their nose at the system. And clearly there's plenty of people out there who are hostile to any suggestion of water charges. I see Paul Murphy, the Solidarity TD, saying that this is the sort of Trojan horse to leave the door open for the return of charges. So there is... 
obviously still the hostility that exists in relation to the water charges issue. But as I said, from a government point of view, to be compliant with you know European laws and all the rest of it, and ensure that you know there's equity in the system, they have to introduce a fining system. But it's very weak. It's very softly, softly, as I said, and, and, and probably. And by that, you would expect it to pass fairly easily, wouldn't you? Well, I don't. There's no guarantee of that, to be honest. Which is like, I mean, you, you probably will have enough numbers between Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil because clearly this was the subject and the basis of the confidence and supply agreement in 2016. Um, you know, they're not rushing this. They have, you know, they've, they've been at this for quite a while, and I don't think there are any great surprises in in what what's being uh, tabled. But that's not to say it won't be contentious. I mean, like you've got the solidarities, you've got the people before profits, you have a very noisy bunch of independents in the Dáil who, you know, were very strongly militant in relation to water charges. I mean, we all remember the Jobstown incident in in 2014. So there is still that um, hostility there. Um, so it, it, while it may pass, it won't be a kind of a like there certainly won't be a political consensus on us across the board. Mm-hmm. Um, but as I said, what is clear. Yeah, this is a policy driven by politics, not by good policy making. You know, I mean, this is the third version of Irish Water that we've seen because they've had to scrap the two previous models because of you know political and public opposition. But you know, if you were, you know, this is not the model that Irish Water saw itself you know operating a number of years ago. This is clearly not the model of Irish Water the original Fine Gael Labour government had had envisaged either. So this is one driven by politics, not by good, you know, con- this is not driven by conservation, really. It's driven by pure politics at the end of the day. Can I ask you as well, Daniel, about a story you have in the examiner this morning about the UK plan for bilateral treaty, a non-runner. Uh, so the headline says proposal avoiding border backstop wouldn't work. And you say that the government has sharply rejected these British proposals for a bilateral treaty. Yes, yeah, so Theresa May, the British Prime Minister today, uh, has to table her plan B because her, the withdrawal agreement was so roundly defeated in the House of Commons last week. She now has to present uh, her second plan. And part of that idea clearly details were leaked out over the weekend to some of the British newspapers. Um, this idea of you know uh, doing a kind of an Anglo a new Anglo Irish treaty with the Irish government, uh, you know, essentially containing all the elements that uh, would would have been in the backstop. Uh, just take it out of that European treaty. Therefore, she would, she would. The hope was she'd be able to get the withdrawal agreement minus the backstop through the House of Commons. Um, but the Irish government are saying absolutely not because so she, she wanted a side deal with Dublin. Essentially, and uh, the Irish government, in fairness to it, and the European Union all the way along have said no bilateral agreements. We can and only must deal through the block of European Twenty Seven. Because, in fairness, there because of the complexities of Brexit. Um, there's no guarantee of you know unforeseen consequences, particularly with the, the British-French border, uh, and also in relation to Gibraltar as well. So I mean, there's, it, it's much more complicated than 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 it, than it would seem, even on, on superficial levels. But also as well, the danger of getting into a bilateral agreement rather than you know taking it out from the the sort of the, the agreement between the UK and the EU, there would be a danger that the UK would ease, it would much easier come its nose at, at that sort of bilateral agreement rather than kind of you know breaking an agreement with the European Union um, so it, it just doesn't seem to be a runner even you know already before it's even been announced right. however I thought what was very interesting this morning the Daily Telegraph ran a story saying that Theresa May was suggesting that the Good Friday Agreement could be renegotiated re-looked at re-examined but uh, Danny is, is that, not, come is that out. not impossible? Well, I would have thought so, and I see um, just in the last hour or so a spokesperson from Downing Street uh, rubbishing that and saying that's just not that's not true. Um, but you and I, you and I, Daniel, know well enough those stories don't just invent themselves. Somebody somebody said that somewhere. Oh no, I think I kind of get the sense that it was a flyer. They were probably testing the water, and, and they're they're kind of getting their reaction, and they've had to move um, because what you've also already seen is 
Scottish nationalists kind of say this is this is reckless and this is dangerous. You've seen, you know, people obviously here say this is highly dangerous, and you know, it just adds to the confusion, the complexity, and obviously, people, given what happened in Derry on Saturday night, are very nervous that we could be slipping back into more volatile um, times, and that's one thing we have to all be very mindful of. So, I think playing with the peace process in any way. Can be is a dangerous strategy, and I think Theresa May and her advisors would do well to rethink that one, and um, particularly given you know like like there's a great fear given the absence of the Stormont Assembly for the last two years that you know you know it's only a matter of time before something really dangerous and nasty kicks off in the north, and nobody wants it. So playing this sort of strategy, you know, mentioning the Good Friday Agreement is, is highly highly risky. But it's clear she's running out of options, and that's why they're probably it's massive desperation from my point of view. But we have to wait and see exactly what the the, the full meat of, of her text, which we'll be we'll see later on this afternoon. If we had sat down two years ago, Daniel, we could not have foreseen this Brexit chaos and the lack of a Stormont government, could we? Well, certainly, I think that you know the the storm, the, the failure of the Stormont government, I think, has largely been driven by the DUP's holding of power in in Westminster. I think it, it, had that not been the case, then I think we may have seen progress before. But I think the DUP are milking their influence in Westminster for all they can get, and clearly, you know, to a certain degree, it's working for their core constituencies. However, is it working for Northern Ireland? I would argue it's not, um, and I would think the sooner that arrangement between the DUP and the Conservative party can be broken I think the better for everybody I just think it's it's just it's it's playing very you know I think Jonathan Powell who was Tony Blair's advisor put it best at the time of this deal when it was being formulated he said uh, John Major at his weakest in the 1990s when he had lost his majority still refused to do a deal with the DUP because he knew what they were like and I think you know Theresa May is now paying the price for doing that deal with the devil as some may see it because they're just so absolutist they're so hard line and particularly, it's had a hugely destabilising impact on, on relations to the north. Well, and I and I think you know uh, you know it's a very volatile period. And I think you know you know calm heads need to prevail if we're to avoid further Daniel, violence and further bloodshed. Daniel McConnell, political editor with the Irish Examiner. Thank you for your time this morning. We'll be back with the headlines after this break. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. LMFM. And you're welcome back to the Michael Reed Show with me, Cahill Dervin. Oh eight six one eight hundred six five eight as always our text number. And Marie Cairns joins us with your comments. Good morning to you, Marie. Good morning, Carl. Nice to have you back. Were you in the up hot at seat. half four this morning for the? No, I wasn't. Totally I, like I didn't set my alarm, but I actually woke during the night, and I decided to take a little peek outside the window to see if I could see anything. But I couldn't even see the moon because it was part. It was blocked <laughs> where I was. I saw a street like I was half asleep, and for a minute I thought that was the moon because it was kind of reddy, orangey color. Well, but uh, no, I didn't see anything. Now, in fairness, I didn't go at that time that was supposed to be the best time to have a look. And we were talking to Anthony Murphy earlier, and his brilliant photograph is on our Facebook page, and it's That's on the right. Musical Ireland, and it is you've seen it. It's Brilliant photograph. Fantastic, Fantastic photograph. He always seems to be in the right place at the right time, that guy. He's the man for that. What's happening today? Well, a lot of response so far. First of all, to Brexit and this thoughts that you're going to have to have a green card to travel to the north uh, to cover you for insurance. A text from a listener to say, where do we get a green card as I go to Newry daily? Well, it seems to be with your contact, your insurance, insurance company. company. Um, from what I understand, just from reading people's posts on social media, some people have already been contacted by their insurance company and advised that this is what they need to do before March 29th, uh, just in the event of a hard Brexit. And that's the key thing, isn't mm. it? That it's only in the event of a hard Brexit that, or, you know, that we're going to have a hard border that they or need to have this. Or any Brexit. 
Uh, another listener says, what happened uh, in Derry on Saturday is just dreadful and a stark reminder of what could be ahead of us if there's a return of a hard border. That's why the backstop is so important, says Eric from Drogheda. Jim says, I'm furious over this green card. The thoughts that we need to be getting a special uh, card covers for insurance in order to travel from one part of our country to another. This is just the start of it, fears Jim. Time now, says Tom, for a United Ireland vote. Uh, Declan contacted us to say that Theresa May, in his opinion, needs to go. Uh, suggesting that there be, could be some sort of bilateral treaty between Ireland and the UK is a joke. Uh, th- that deal needs to be reached between the EU and the UK and the cheek of anyone suggesting interfering with the Good Friday Agreement. Hands off. <laughs> that has actually shocked a lot of people, hasn't it? Even, even the suggestion, whether it's, it's true or it's not true, but even the suggestion that they would consider reviewing the Good Friday Agreement, which physically don't know how you could. And Gronia phoned in to say that she's aghast to think that there is talk about making changes to the Good Friday Agreement. We value the peace in this island and we do not want to go back to the dark days of the Troubles. And that's everyone's big fear. We, we saw that in Derry on Saturday, didn't we? Yes, and who wants to go back to that? Uh, Seamus from Dundalk phoned in to say that he can't see what Theresa May can come up with in her Plan B to Parliament today that would be agreeable by both the EU and the majority of MPs. So where do we go after this? Well, as Michael always says, if we had a crystal ball, we'd know. Uh, it really is just day by day on this Maybe story. Maybe she has a plan C. From Paul, who texts in, it looks to me that the day, it looks to me that the day the British government of the day in 1922 put a border on the island of Ireland to divide our people is coming back to haunt them. You know the old saying, what goes around comes around. A united Ireland and its people has to be the answer. Uh, Paddy phoned in from Kells to ask Imelda Munster why don't the members of Sinn Féin go to Westminster and put forward Sinn Féin's case over there. Sinn Féin have the seats and they should be there. All they are doing, as he puts it, is belly aching. So there you go, belly aching. I like that word. (laughs) So that's just a couple of uh, comments so far on Brexit. On the hospital name change of Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital and the fact now that it appears that they've... One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff: shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. 
To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Road back on it, going on these sources and in inverted commas that have told uh, Councillor Paul Bell. When Mary texted in to say, why was the leader of the protest, Mayor Frank Godfrey, not on the show to give the good news about the no-name change in the hospital? It was him that Michael Reid lambasted after the protest. Well, just to say, Mary, we had lots of people on in relation to that story, including the members, the chairperson and the secretary of the committee. And the reason we asked Paul Bell on is because he's the one who has said that he has the sources, well, who sent in the press release on it to say that sources have told him that it's not going to happen. So that's why we had um, Councillor Bell on just to answer your question there. Uh, Cahill, it would fit them better if they sorted out the health service. There is no need to change the name of Our Lady of Lords Hospital. The next thing that will be changing Our Lady's Hospital in Navan, says a trim listener. Uh, Margaret phoned in to say she was listening to your interview with Paul Bell and says well done to the ordinary men and women who made their voices heard to retain the name of Our Lady of Lords Hospital. The cost of the change would be an absolute scandal and hopefully now common sense will prevail. Jimmy however is not a bit happy. That, that the name change is not going ahead because he says if a hospital carries out abortions then it isn't a Catholic hospital so why would you want to preserve the Catholic name? Calling a hospital a Catholic name is offensive to Catholics who see the unborn child in the womb being killed. The majority who voted yes to abortion on May 25th 2018 clearly rejected the Catholic ethos of schools and hospitals and in the future, this is Jimmy's prediction, there will be no Catholic nurses or doctors left in the healthcare system in Ireland because that what that's what the yes vote means. So there you go, a flavour of those so far and we'll park that for the moment and hopefully um it, it, it you know we 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 we'll see what happens. And as Councillor Bell said, it's 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 on the long finger. Yes. It hasn't gone away altogether. No. Uh we're going to be talking shortly about uh dogs on beaches mm. and we've already had a couple of comments just on foot of your intro at the top of the show to say that we'd be discovering it as part of the beach plan in Meath. Uh, Deirdre in Kells phoned in to say that she feels that all dogs should be controlled on a beach and in her book that means being on a lead. She says that you cannot trust any dog. Deirdre herself got a bite of a dog in Kells. She says she had her own dog with her on a lead and the dog in question went for her dog and she tried to protect the dog and got bitten on the caught arm. In the, caught in the crossfire. Yeah, and says that it can so easily happen. Uh, another, Peter from Julian's Town says, Cockle, unfortunately, when it comes to dogs on beaches, most people are sensible. But you have those who let their dogs off and don't have any regard of how far away they are from them when they're walking on the beach. I've come across Alizations and Dobermans off their leads where there is absolutely no way they should be roaming free. Most of them don't even have muzzles on, even though they should have because they would be considered dangerous dogs. Says they, Peter. I think the likes of Dobermans and Alizations are supposed to be on a lead at all times, aren't they? Yes. Or Yes. If they're out in public. And and um, another listener, if I can just go to her, just on the same topic, and phoned in to say that there's nothing worse, and I can identify with this somewhat, uh, walking on a beach, when you see a dog coming towards you and the owner not in sight. Because 
if you have any little fear of dogs, and Anne says so she has dogs herself, so it's not even that she's you know, has it is terribly afraid of them. But it's just when you see one coming towards you, there's always the fear that they could attack you or they could bite you because you don't know uh, the nature of the dog. Well, so I'm sure we're going to hear loads on and, that and because we will be discussing will it shortly. With, with Councillor Sharon Tolan and Councillor Amber Ferguson. Can I go back? Have we time just Absolutely. for a couple more? And um, We were discussing the spiralling cost of the National Children's Hospital on Friday's programme with uh, local TD Peter Fitzpatrick and a couple of comments came in. Uh, Ray says this is the same hospital that independent studies suggested they should not build on this site. I'd love to see where all the money is going. Emma from Dundalk says, Peter Fitzpatrick, you're right by the sounds of it. They have made a balls of this. No one in their right mind would allow that. The hospital is needed, I fully agree, but wasting good taxpayers' money where it could have been saved is a disgrace. Money could have been saved and used for the housing crisis. Such a shame, says Emma. Uh, Another listener says that the children's hospital should never have been located in an area with difficult access, shortage of parking, etc. Blanchestown, as proposed by many doctors, was a cheaper site with more space and easier access. But why worry about any of the children from rural areas? Uh, another listener, Tala Richie from the Tala Hospital Action Group, says Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael, Labour would not listen. All crocodile tears I attended board Panala hearing the spin was unbelievable beyond belief. TDs are just bluffing, says Richie. And another, finally, texter, Peter Fitzpatrick is spot on with his comments and fair play to him. He is saying it as it is, not trying to fob us off with spin. So there you go. And the overexpend, the overspend is quite something. It is remarkable. So we're going to be back soon to talk about dogs on beaches. We are indeed. Thank you for your time, Maria. You're very welcome. We'll be, we'll be back keep, tomorrow keep, morning. Keep the comments coming in. Oh eight six one eight hundred six five eight. We're back after this. Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. LMFM. And you're very welcome back to the Michael Reed Show. Oh eight six one eight hundred six five eight. As always, our text line. We've had a number of comments already, as you will have heard from Marie before the break, about plans regarding the management of beaches in County Meath. And joining me in studio is Councillor Emer Ferguson, Sinn Féin Councillor, Meath County Council, and on the phone, Councillor Sharon Toller, Fine Gael Councillor on Meath County Council. If I can start with you, Councillor Toller, good morning to you first of good all. Good morning, Carl. Um, you're a dog lover, a dog owner and a dog walker. I am indeed, yeah, and a beach lover. And a beach lover. <laughs> um, now, yourself and Holly regularly walk on the beach. We do, we do, um, as much as possible when I can squeeze it in. Um, and look, at, I suppose it was a bolt out of the blue last Thursday at our, our council meeting um, to see that, you know, the, the council were looking to introduce this um, change to our bylaws. Um, it hadn't been mentioned before. It wasn't in the draft um, that there would be a complete ban on off-leash walking. Um, so it, it kind of came as a, as a bolt out of the blue, and I, I felt it was unfair that the public didn't have an opportunity to have proper consultation on it. Was there not a proposal? Uh, you, you could make proposals to them up to October, I think it was? That was to our draft beach management plan, which included um, a, a change or an update to our uh, foreshore bylaws but um, there was no mention in the draft uh, beach management plan that uh, dogs should be kept on leads at all times. So the proposal at this moment in time, which is going to go to Meath County Council, is that dogs, any dog on the beach, has to be on a lead? At all times, yeah. You don't agree? I don't, um, Carl. And I, I, I'll tell you, and, and bear with me, um, you know that there are many, many very responsible dog owners, and I can tell you hundreds of them have been in touch over the weekend. I've been swamped with messages on 
Facebook, emails, calls, texts. Um, you know, I, I'm living here in Betty's 10, 19 years. I grew up in Balbriggan, so very much beach areas. Um, I'm a, an avid walker um, all of my life. And I could count on one hand in those 19 years that I, I live here how many bad experiences I've had with dogs. You did have one um, at Baltray, did you? Baltray, no. No, sorry, that must be a sorry, No, no, no. Um, no, down here on, on Betty's Town Beach, yeah. and I, uh, on occasion I have phoned the, uh, the Gardaí. We have bylaws there at the moment, Carl, and if they were enforced, there wouldn't be an issue. I, I know you had a comment there or a phone in from somebody who talked about Dobermans um, off their leave. That is against the law. That, that's against the law. So there's an irresponsible dog owner. And that, that doesn't um, matter if it's on a beach or in a car park. or No, wherever. it doesn't matter wh- wherever. And, and, and need to be muzzled. Uh, and those laws are there to protect our, our citizens and our communities. And if those laws were enforced, um, you know, there wouldn't be an issue. The current foreshore bylaws that we have are not being enforced. They haven't been enforced since they were adopted. If they were enforced, there wouldn't be an issue. Um, so that, that, that my, is my feeling that, you know, we have current responsible dog owners who will end up respecting a new bylaw. There's no doubt about it. I will respect a new bylaw if it is introduced. Uh, as, as much as it will upset me, I will respect it. But it will be those responsible dog owners that will respect it. And the irresponsible ones will continue to ignore bylaws. Now, you I, know, so we will continue to have an issue unless it is enforced. As I and said, that's that's as the I, crux of it. We need our beach wardens full-time all year round. It is a busy, busy beach all year round. If you were down there at all over the Christmas or New Year's, well, I mean, it's, it's, it's teeming with people every day of the week. Councillor Eamor Ferguson, Sinn Féin Councillor, and Mead County Councillors in studio. Councillor Ferguson, your view on this? Good morning, Cahill. Um, my view is much the same as Sharon's. Um, I'm a dog owner. I have to say, I don't bring my dog to the beach. The one I have currently, I do not bring to the beach purely because um, he's, he's just too big. And he also likes the birds in the sky and to chase them. So he'd take the arm out of my socket, out of the socket. But um, if, as, as, as Sharon has said, the bylaws are there. They have been changed in 2007. They've been changed in 2010. And not once have they been enforced along, along the line. The, it's the irresponsible dog owners, shall we say, that are getting the the um the other dog owners um a bad name mm. going along the beach now i can understand there are people you know that are they do fear dogs they're afraid of their lives of dogs um so there is actually a dog free zone where uh, where the lifeguards are going to be you know from flag to flag you must walk in behind you cannot walk on the front and that is part and yes totally agree with that but no i have to say i don't i don't agree i think the law that's there at the moment if it were enforced by having a permanent but beach can, management. Can Mead County Council afford to enforce that law? Can they have permanent beach management? Well can i ask you a question what is the point in bringing in a new law if there's nobody there to enforce it. If there was nobody there to enforce the, the, the previous ones, what's the point in bringing in a new one? It's not going to be enforced. So if we got, which we have been pushing for, a full-time beach warden on that beach, to, uh, not 24-7, but you know, 12 months of the mm. year instead of just the summer months, um, it can be enforced then. Councillor Tobin, what's your, your, your reaction to, you know, can Mead Council afford a full-time beach warden? Well, I, I believe they, they have to. Um, you know, we, we, we have our local property tax there. There's plenty of us out here in the East Mead uh, paying it. 
Um, it's a long time coming that, that we protect and look after our beach and I'm all for the protection of the beach and initially this was, was introduced as a way of protecting the wintering birds um, but you know the, the statistics are, are shown there, National Parks and Wildlife it's available online our wintering birds on our beaches are increasing so our dog walking is not impacting those wintering birds um, you know, there are a number of other measures within the, the draft beach management plan. And I, and I will say to the public, Cahill, you know, it was quite disappointing to see that there were only 26 submissions. Um, we, we had a huge amount of public consultation um, with regards to open evenings uh, in, in uh, Reddins here in Bettystown. And, uh, you know, myself and Emer and a number of us have all pushed and highlighted these things to, to, to the public. To, so for 26 submissions, it was a little disappointing, um, you know, but look, at, we're working towards there are many other other items in the draft beach management plan that people will be pleased with. There's an increase in the fine uh, for dog fouling from 75 euro to 150 euro. But again, it but will that it has will to be that has to be policed exactly it will take enforcement mm. everything in this draft beach management plan will need a beach manager and a beach warden to oversee it so councillor ferguson where are we at the moment with this plan um we it was brought in front of us last thursday at our municipal meeting it's it's something we've been working on for a couple of years now um and i suppose it has taken us this long to get it this far um but it was brought in front of us last thursday um and it was the first time we saw it so we we had a presentation which was very well done by meath county council but it was felt that um to throw something like this at us and expect us to pass it on the day we asked for it to be put off until our next municipal meeting in February, uh, which they agreed with, no problem. And then it's up to us to vote for or against um, the plan, and after that it will go to full council to be passed. I'm just looking here at that, that the proposal, the recommendations. I mean, this also affects the... Uh the ability of horses to, to yeah. go to the beach. Yeah, well, well, what they're doing is the horses are on the on the beach anyway, and they're allowed on the beach um, until eleven o'clock um, during the day. But a lot of them are coming through the dunes, and the plan is now to take them off the dunes, and um, they'll have to park on the beach and use the beach that way. But there's also a restriction. There, there are four. Sorry for cutting across there, okay. Carl. There's there's four um, animal control uh, recommendations. Um, two of them in relation to dogs and two of them in relation to horses. Um, the, the recommendation number 22 will be of, of a lot of concern, I think, to horse owners because there will be a restriction, restriction also on horses uh, along the shoreline within the Nanny Estuary and the shoreline SPA from September to March inclusive. So that's seven months, seven months where horses will not be allowed uh, to be walked or, or, or ridden along the shoreline there. Um, which which will I think uh, <laughs> is going to be a bit of a shock um, to to a lot of people. You know we've a, a long long history of horses on the beach there in Leighton and Betty's Town. We have our Leighton races annually. Um, I think it's, it's it's going to come as a big shock. So I I would ask that people engage with the local councillors and let your feelings be known because it will come to a vote in February, and it's important that we know how people feel. Clearly, Councillor Ferguson, I mean, 20, was it 26 people responded to this in, in yeah. the first instance? That, yeah. That's a very low number it's very, for very an low. area that yeah. size. For an area that has almost 13,000 people living in it. Um, and when we say 13,000, 
they we have a hell of a lot more who use the beach. Mm. It's it's a county beach. It's not just um um the Late Ambassador area. It is a county beach. It's a North County um, Dublin beach as well. So um, for to have 26 replies, yes, it was very, very disappointing. Now, there were quite a few people who came to the the open evenings, but maybe they were just happy. Yeah, maybe they. Is that apathy? Is that they don't care? Is it they're not dog owners? Um, hard to know. It's hard to know. I, apathy, I think, might be a lot of it. Oh, is it disheartening? It, yeah, yes, it yeah, is. When you put in the work for it, it really is disheartening when people don't, you know, and yet they'll turn around to you. Why can't you do this? And why can't you do that? Well, it's, you know, put it in. And, you and, know, I'm, and I'm sure a councillor told him that if, you know, if next summer, if, if there's dog foul on the beach or whatever, the first people to complain will be the people who didn't get involved. Well, you know, it was to be fair, it was quite a weighty document. Um, you know, there, there was a lot of reading involved in the draft. Um, it also had an Atura impact statement. And, you know, I think sometimes maybe people are put off by the, the fact that something is quite weighty and, and how much do they need to delve into it. But I was encouraging people, even a, a, a small one or two lines of, you know, how they feel about cars, dogs, horses, all of those things. Um, the, the sulky riders are another thing um, that, that, that's, that's another recommendation that they'll be removed completely um, there'll be no sulky riders allowed on the beach whatsoever but one point I would like to make Carl is that these are county Mead foreshore bylaws so it's not just the area where uh, the, the draft beach management plan is covering which is Mornington, Dunne, uh, Mornington Bettystown and Laytown these will include the Mosney Beach and Gormanston Beach if these foreshore bylaws are changed And there are many, many, those two beaches are so, so quiet. You know, they're not bathing areas. Um, So they are areas where, you know, horses are ridden, uh, dogs are walked. And, you know, I I would find it very unfair that that, um, they would be implemented, particularly Mosney Beach and Gormanston Beach, where they're they're not designated bathing areas. Councillor Ferguson, how much support do you think these measures have within Meath County Council at this moment in time? Um, do you mean the officials or mm. the or the councillors? No, we're councillors. in the councillors. in the councillors. I mean, you're the guy who's going to vote on this. Um, there, it's split. It's split for mm. the dog. For the dog, uh, I have to say it is. Um, it is split. Um, I'm hoping that if if they could just leave it as it is and police it. Do you know what I mean? Responsible, the, the law that's there, the bylaw that's there at the moment is for uh, dogs to be, that, you know, to be under control of the owner or on a leash. Now, if that's controlled, that's, that's the way it should stand. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, can't, I can't call it now what way it's going to go. And finally, Councillor Tolan, what can people do if they are interested in this subject, if they want to find out more about this? And, and basically, by the sounds of it, even month. Yeah, yeah. Well, get in touch with your. You know how I feel. I, you know, I've, I've, I've come clean, <laughs> as it were, and put my hand up. And I, I totally understand people who have a fear of dogs. Um, and as I said, I've, on occasion, I've, I've called the guardie myself. Um, so you know, but a bit of compromise, I think, an all-out ban on, on le- allowing your, your dog off the lead is just. And also, sorry, Coach Cross is there. Also, we're not going to please everybody, and we can't. We can't even try to please everybody. But if it, if all those laws, the alcohol law, the litter law, the dog law, if all of those were enforced, 
it would be happy days on the beach. Councillor yeah. Eamor Ferguson, Sinn Féin Councillor, Meath County Council, and Councillor Sharon Tolan, Fine Gael Councillor on Meath County Council. We thank you for your time this morning. We'll be back Carl. after this. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. LMFM. Welcome back to the Michael Reed Show with me, Cahill Dervin. January the 23rd, or Wednesday in other words, is the deadline for making submissions to the Draft Regional Spatial and Economic Strategy Plan, the RSES. The Drogheda City Status Group, DSCG, have urged all local businesses, community and political representatives in the greater Drogheda area, including East Mead, to ensure they engage with this very important planning process. Joining me now to discuss this is Dr Brian Hughes, who's the Planning and Development Surveyor and a spokesperson for the Drogheda City Status Group. Good morning to you, Dr. Hughes. Good morning. Explain to us first of all, please, the what exactly this this survey and this plan is about. Uh, the um, regional plan is uh, there are three regions going to be um, formed, uh, and the Eastern Midlands region is the one in which uh, Drogheda is going to be located. And uh, it's by far the largest region with a population of uh, about 2.3 million out of the total state population of 4.7. So it's about 50% of the uh, country. It covers uh, Dublin City and together with the Leinster counties, with the exception of the three southern counties of um, Carlow, Kilkenny and Wexford. And Drogheda is part in this, and, and, and you, you, the, your group has made reference to the greater Drogheda area. There is, there is talk of city status in this, isn't there? That's right, indeed, yes. We're, uh, we've petitioned government already and uh, we're in touch with uh, Brussels uh, and they have offered to help us uh, with regard to that and also we've had interviews with the leaders of the main political parties. Uh, that, uh, that cycle is nearly completed now. We've just one or two others to, uh, to talk to. And uh, the um, petition uh, was, of course, supported by the uh, people of Drogheda uh, with the thousands of signatures they received and how many how many what is the population you'd expect in the greater drought area by the time all this comes to fruition uh, well by 2040 the population of the greater drought area would be uh, at least a quarter of a million uh, it's growing at a, an enormous rate um, uh, drought uh, um, effectively now is joined in with Leytown, Bettystown, Morrington forming a single um, uh, settlement and its population has uh, just passed out Waterford uh, this year, uh, 52,800 against Waterford's 53,500. But that was the 2016 census. But the amount of development that's taken place around Drogheda since, of course, means that it's now greater than Waterford. And what what are you urging businesses and, and the general population, community people in the greater Drogheda area, what are you saying to them in terms of the deadline for this plan? Well, certainly to, to make their submissions, uh, because um, uh, we, we, we need to see that unlike the National Planning Framework, which was the over uh, the overview document, um, uh, Late Town, Betty's Town, Mornington was uh, completely the tips there. It wasn't even recognised in the, um, in, in the uh, appendix of, of, of towns, uh, which was very, very unfortunate. And so we're urging the people of, of, of Drogheda uh, to get behind the City Status Committee uh, and uh, to uh, press for Drogheda to be cleared, to, to be declared the city straight away. And where where can they make submissions, Brian? Uh, the submissions are are, are, are made to the um, uh, to the um, administrative um, uh, council, um, and uh, they've to be in I think in two or three days' time, as far as I know. And that's, is that available online? Yes, indeed. So where where do where will people find this? 
uh, online at the Department of the Environment so, online. So there are links through then to, to the submissions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so your message to people is to get involved. Wednesday's the deadline. They, they need to move on this. Absolutely, because you see at the moment what we have is that it, the, the, the relevance is for Trot is that it, it transcends the loud meat divide, which has been um, it, 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 the town has been served by two local authorities. Uh, they have been talking to each other up to now. There is a new uh, arrangement where uh, a bill in the doyle at the moment, which will help that. But you have uh, the bugbear of, of two IDA regional offices, two guarded divisions, HSE services in Drogheda and Navan. We need to demonstrate Drogheda's needs are, 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 are require a unitary approach, whereas it's all divided at the moment. Um, we thank you for your time this morning and we would encourage people to take a look at that. That's Dr Brian Hughes, Planning and Development Surveyor and Spokesperson for Drogheda City Status Group. Submissions have to be in by Wednesday for the draft Regional Spatial Plan. There is a meeting coming up in Dundalk. Dundalk Chamber of Commerce will be holding a briefing for the general public on the draft Regional Development Plan tonight at 6.30pm in the County Museum in Dundalk. That's a meeting for the general public on the draft Regional Development Plan tonight at 6.30 in the County Museum in Dundalk. We'll be back after this. Michael Reed. This is the Michael Reid Show. Now, GA fans will be well aware that this weekend sees the return of the Allianz National Football Leagues. Meath against Tipperary in Division 2 and Loud against Longford in Division 3 on Sunday, all of which will be available across LMFM's many platforms and the afternoon show. And we will look forward to that now with Gordon Manning, Gaelic Games correspondent with the Irish Sun and a Kells native. Good morning to you, Gordon. Good morning, Carl. How are you? Meet against Tipperary, Gordon, bring a ball campaign being launched this weekend. This is a great initiative. Yeah, a great initiative, Carl. A, a, a simple initiative, but a powerful one. And I suppose in the media, we're kind of asked to hold um, organisations to account for that. But when they deserve credit, I think they should get it. And the Meet 24 certainly deserve a lot of credit for this. Uh, bring a ball campaign. It, it, it does happen in other counties. You've seen at halftime matches where the kids go on the pitch with a ball. But uh, Mead have really kind of launched it kind of through their social media over the last week or so, uh, trying to uh, really promote this. And they're looking for kids to bring balls to, to Park Talchon at the weekend and at half time they can go onto the pitch. And I mean, look for, for kids to be able to go out and even run around on, on uh, you know, hallowed turf, I suppose, on the same pitch that their own their heroes played on only a couple of minutes earlier and will be back playing on after the, when the second half begins. I mean, that, that just engenders a lot of passion and excitement and I think it's a really uh, strong initiative by Mead. And who knows where it will end up 20, 25 years from now. Absolutely. And I think also as well, I mean, uh, it's on the back of another initiative where uh, they're having double headers with uh, two ladies football games where uh, the Mead ladies will play awfully and uh, the Mead men will play Armagh in, in February the 10th and then in March then the ladies play Wicklow and the men play for Manning as a double header. So I think that's a very positive initiative and hopefully something that will, uh, will go in the future. And about time too. Now, one change this weekend, of course, we had five rule changes during the pre-season competitions as we call them and this weekend the hand pass rule is gone again. Yeah, uh, hand pass rule, kick the touch. Um, it was uh, narrow enough for by all accounts, uh, only only uh, 25 to 23, uh, despite, I suppose, uh, over 90% of inter-county players being very much against it and managers very much against it. No major surprise, it was probably, uh, it's probably been before the National Leagues. Uh, but the other four rules will go forward now for, for trialling uh, over the next few months in the National Leagues. That's the, the sin bin, the 20-metre kick out, the sideline kick and the inside mark. So we're going to have four trial rules now in this year's National Football League. How do you think they've worked so far? Um, do you know, I, I was at a couple of games and I could actually see what they were trying to achieve with the, with the hand pass. Um, there certainly was a lot more kick passing in the games 
but uh, three was probably too too few a, a limit to put on hand passing. Um, there are maybe different ways of going about it. I mean, whether you, you you ban maybe a back pass to the goalkeeper or whether if a team gets inside the opposition 45, you can't come out, maybe something like that. But I just think uh, for the referees to have to, there's so much on the plate and now to have to count three hand passes uh, and at the same time, uh, you know, be trying to look at all the other rules. I mean, it would just cause carnage in, in club football and then down to the grade. So I think just the limited three hand passes would probably be unworkable. Now, of course, with the start of the National Football Leagues, it's always a signal that we're not too far away from Congress. And one of the motions coming out of Donegal this year will force Dublin to play two of their games in the Super 8s, if they get there, of course, uh, away from Croke Park. What do you think of this? Yeah, well, I thought the genesis of this call was last year, in the inaugural year of the Super 8s, uh, Donegal were frustrated that it was they, had, they played Dublin in Croke Park in their first Super 8s game. Um, and in effect, Dublin had two home matches because the, the general ruling with the Super 8 is that each team will have one home game, one away game, and one Crow Park game. Uh, so, for instance, if that was Mead, it would be Mead would have one game at Park Talchin, they would have a game at Crow Park, and then a game away as a venue, a home venue of one of zero teams in the group. Uh, what Dublin did is they designated Crow Park as the home ground, and then in the neutral line, the Crow Park ground, they also played there. So, what Donegal have. Uh, I think Donegal, Donegal was the neutral game, wasn't it? Uh, the, the neutral game was was actually the Donegal game. Yes, mm. it, the home game was uh, against Roscommon, which was the last game, which was a dead rubber. But uh, what Donegal has done here, uh, and the motion will go to Congress uh, in Wexford uh, late next uh, in February, is that uh, no county will be allowed to designate Crow Park as their home venue. So it doesn't actually specifically mention Dublin, but obviously it's it's uh, it's, it's targeting the benefit that they, they gained from it last year. And I guess what uh, Donegal are looking for maybe is a level, level playing field here. So uh, this will go to Congress in February. Then no county are allowed to designate Crow Park as a home venue. If it is passed, then Dublin uh, will have uh, to, to nominate a home ground. Parnell Park is the home ground. Uh, they can nominate another ground elsewhere if they want um, uh, for the, uh, bigger attendances or bigger ground. Uh, Parnell Park capacity is just around 10,000. Um, so this will prevent Dublin from having two games in Crow Park. It will go to Congress, it will need to be voted on, but I imagine there will be uh, widespread uh, support among a lot of counties out there for this. Is it another attempt to try and derail the drive for five? The drive for five, they might need a few more things than this to <laughs> derail the drive for five. But uh, no, listen, in fairness to Donegal, I think you can see where they're coming from on it. Um, the GA, the central Com- the central competitions committee of GA, are very anxious that they keep this Crow Park round. So if it's going to be a Crow Park round kept, um, then this is quite a clever motion uh, by de- by asking that no county be allowed to designate Crow Park as a, as a home venue for the home match in Super Eight. So uh, centrally, I imagine central council will maybe try and keep the dubs there because you know it a, a lot of talk over the weekend about the rise in ticket prices. The GA have put on for leagues and championships this year, uh, and the more people you have uh, at the bigger venue you have, the more people you can put uh, in, in the ground, and the more revenue you can generate. So, uh, uh, GA centrally will be looking to probably keep the dubs in Crow Park, but a lot of counties, I'd imagine, would hope that uh, for a more level playing field, that Dublin won't be able to play two games in Crow Park this summer uh, yeah. for the Super Eights. Dublin will have to go on the road this weekend, of course. They're away to Monaghan in the first round of the league, and a lot of Monaghan fans looking forward to the year after going so close in the All Ireland series last summer. Yeah, and you know, that one of the great things about the Super 8 was the fact that we had these home games as well. And, and uh, I was at the Monaghan uh, Kerry game up in Clonus, and one of the best atmospheres all year. 
of any match like that. And um, yeah, Monaghan look, Monaghan are uh, they're not tired of us saying at this stage, but an example of what uh, other counties should be able to achieve when you look at the population of, uh, for instance, Mead compared to Monaghan and uh, what Monaghan are getting out of their players. Um, and they've been uh, operating at top level in Division 1 for a number of years, whereas me, I suppose, have been in the purgatory of uh, Division 2 for longer than most of us care to remember. Well, how finally, Gordon, how do you think the season will go for me and Loud? Um, I think it's a, I think it's a, it's a, it's a big opening game for me this weekend, uh, the Tipperary at home, because uh, they've done the goal in their second game away, uh, so I think they probably need to pick up something against Tipperary this weekend if they're to... Uh, kind of push for promotion. It's a very tight division. It's a very difficult division. Uh, Armagh, Cork, Kildare. You've a lot of very very strong teams in there. I think I think it's Mead le- Mead's level. I think that's you know they're going to be very competitive within that group. But you could just as easily end up in a promotion battle as a relegation battle in that group. So I think getting a good start for Andy McIntyre's side is very important against Tipperary this weekend. For Loud again again that's a very competitive division. Division three. They're at home to Longford in the first game, and again, they're going to have to get a good start because they're they're playing Leash in the second game, a game which actually will be in Crow Park. But uh, Leash will be one of the teams that will be looking to get promotion out of that, uh, out of Division 3. So I think uh, if you look back over the last years in the league, um, the teams that generally get uh, off to the uh, first couple of games, get a win under their belt, uh, generally uh, and generally get into the business end of things. So I think uh, for both uh, management teams this weekend, they'll be looking for a positive start and uh, in particular, if Mead are strangled out of Division 2, uh, certainly a win against Tipperary, I think, would be a necessity. Gordon Manning, GA correspondent with the Irish Sun. Thank you for taking our call this morning, and I'll see you in the office tomorrow, Gordon. Good luck. Now we're going to look at back in history because today is a very special centenary. It's the centenary of the doll. And in the Mansion House later this afternoon, the President will lead commemoration proceedings before a special joint sitting of the doll and the Shannon in the Mansion House. Join us to discuss this is Deputy Thomas Bourne, Fianna Fáil TD from Mead East. Good morning to you, Deputy Bourne. Good morning, Colin. A very historic day for Irish parliamentarians. It is. Uh, there's no question about that. Um, 100 years ago was a very difficult time in the country. Uh, a parliament was established and, you know, it has been democratically elect- elected at elections every few years since then. And it's, it's a huge honour and a privilege and a responsibility uh, to be there on behalf of the people uh, of County Meath and whatever constituency a CD is from. Can I bring you back, Deputy Bourne, to your first day in the dollar? Uh, do you get that sense of history when you walk through the chamber? Oh, every single day, Carl. Every single day, I'm I'm wide-eyed, really, and in awe, looking around at the at the in, sitting in the doll chamber. I really am, uh, maybe more so since I regained my seat, but certainly every single day. Um, I think it's it's such an honour and responsibility to be there, and um, you know, the, the people put you there, they put their trust in you, and the people, you know, we are a democracy. People can decide to change the representatives in the doll as well. So every single day that I'm there, I certainly feel that sense of history. Uh, that sense of, I suppose, sheer responsibility because, but also the sense that um, at that time, uh, you know, what, what, what I'm doing now, I suppose, is that it has been done before, uh, but at that time, uh, the members were setting up a, a new doll. Uh, many of them uh, were in prison, many of them were abroad, uh, some of them just couldn't get there, uh, but it was seen as democratic, uh, it was elected. Uh, and it was, uh, I suppose, effectively recognised throughout the world because of the media coverage it got throughout the world on that day. Uh, so it certainly, um, you know, broke the mould uh, and uh, established uh, the setup for the country uh, that was to come. And established that despite the difficulties that the country faced in, in the few years after that, in the War of Independence and the Civil War, and other difficulties as well, we've remained since that day a democracy. 
uh, where people decide uh, what their government is. And that's something to, to cherish and it's something to hold on to and it's something to fight for very, very hard. There are some fascinating articles across the, the papers this morning. There's a, a full supplement in the Irish Times looking back at events of 100 years ago today. But it's, it's quite incredible the way history repeats itself in some ways. But, I mean, there were only... 27 TDs in the Mansion House that day. There were two to one foreign journalists to TDs, which is incredible. But not so when you read that of Sinn Féin with the majority party. 34 of the 69 Sinn Féin candidates were in prison, including Eamon de Valera. Yeah, absolutely. And Lee Mellows, um, who represented Northmead, uh, wasn't there. Eamon Duggan, who represented Southmead, was there. Uh, Lee Mellows, I think, was abroad in America at the time. Uh, or he certainly he, he wasn't in prison. He's listed on the official doll record as Ergebert uh, Egaluf, which means uh, in exile or banished uh, by the foreigner. So he wasn't there. Uh, and he was elected also for Galway East at the time as well. So it's to, to think back to those men uh, who broke the mould and who did so much to establish the state. And in Lee Mellows' case as well, as huge involvement with the GEA, uh, other aspects of society as well. Uh, it really is an inspiration to all of us to look back at who represented uh, this particular county before us. Uh, and he was, uh, he was elected for Galway as well as Meath? He, he was, yeah. And I think Emma de Valera could have been elected for two constituencies in that election too. There were four or five of them who were. Uh, he was, he was, uh, Lee Mellows was elected in North Meath uh, against the Irish Parliamentary Party. So, so, so that, that's just the way it was. But he wasn't there. Uh, I don't think anybody uh, really had a problem with him not being there on that day or certainly any of the, the, the members who were in prison. Because interestingly, from a local angle, Carl, there's a, a famous painting of the first doll in the mansion house, which sits over the, the chamber of the doll. And it was painted by a local uh, Ashburn artist, Thomas Ryan. Uh, he's, he's still painting, but it's a, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a real iconic uh, photograph, I suppose, really, even though it's a painting of the first doll. And I think it's certainly, if people are online or, you know, to look it up, it's, mm. a, it's a beautiful painting and certainly captures the... I suppose the darkness and, and maybe the hope of that particular day because I suppose people setting up uh, an institution like the Dáil um, on that time probably didn't know what was ahead of them. How would this be recognised? How would the countries of the world? Because, of course, things were addressed to the, the nations of the world and French was spoken. And I understand that Ken Corley is going to speak some French today, uh, apart from Irish. Um, so it, this was an effort to get you know international legitimacy not just for the doll, but for democracy in Ireland. And that really has flown uh, from that particular day and still remains with us to this day. I'm just reading here that almost all the proceedings were conducted in Irish with a declaration of independence and a message to other nations also read in English and in French for yeah. international attention. Uh, but this first all sitting wasn't entirely well received. And it's quite ironic the Irish Times would have supplement today because at the time they branded it a futile and unreal charade. Yeah, I mean, look, that's that's going to happen. Like, I mean, you know, that, that's not not everybody accepted it, but the truth is that you know the Sinn Féin party at that time, uh, led by people like Tahir Brewer, Emma De Valera, etc., uh, Countess Markovic, won that election, won the majority of the seats, uh, and invited every single uh, TD uh, to attend. Uh, our MP, as, as it would have been at that time, elected to the British Parliament on an abstentionist policy. Uh, there were 24 unionists didn't attend, and the Irish Parliamentary Party. I think there were maybe six of them elected. Uh, they didn't attend, and one of them sent his apologies to Harbison, man from Tyrone. Um, but it, it, it was accepted, and it started, you know, it, it broke the mould and started things going. And then, of course, there was a, a violent struggle for freedom in the War of Independence uh, and in the Treaty, Civil War, etc. And, you know, culminating, I suppose, both in the Constitution in 1937 uh, and in the Declaration of the Irish Republic and in the, in the late 40s. But I suppose the key thing for this state is that every few years there was an election, uh, and that Gives, that's what gives our parliament uh, legitimacy and gave that 19, 
19 doll legitimacy as well. It was based on an election. I mean, 1916, we recognised the legitimacy of that and it was a struggle and it was, in some respects, the birth of, of the nation. But the democratic birth of the nation certainly is in that 1918 election and then in the, in the subsequent doll setting. But also that day, two RIC constables uh, were shot and, and murdered in Tipperary. Yeah, and look, the, um, the all of these commemorations that are happening now, whether it's 1916, whether it's the War of Independence, and I suppose most particularly the Civil War, uh, there are going to be mixed feelings that everybody supports and accepts that you know the, the violent struggle of 1919 uh, to our independence was absolutely necessary. Uh, but there were Irish people who were in the RIC who died. Uh, the Civil War uh, as well was extremely bloody. I think that we have to look on these things in an inclusive way in a proper approach, recognising the, the legitimacy of the national struggle, but also recognising as well that, you know, not everybody was on board at that time in this on this island. Well, uh, and that's, that's not to excuse black and tans, etc., but in, t- in terms of RIC officers who were who are Irish, who, who lived here, I think I think there has to be a special understanding, and it certainly is heartrending to see the families of those officers on the, on the television, and I think that and, we are adopting nationally an inclusive approach and on to this, all these commemorations. And on this, the 100th anniversary of the first sitting of the Dáil, we thank you, Deputy Thomas Bourne, Fianna Fáil TD, for me, these very contribution. My thanks this morning to Marie, to Maggie, to Chris and to Eamon. Paul McKenna is next after the news. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie 